Uh, let's look at our January release of the producer price index. Headline number expected to be up four tenths of one percent is coming in hot, up seven tenths. The high watermark here was in March at one point seven. The best it's been was our last look, uh, and the last look was you know down half of one percent. Uh, if we uh, could consider uh, taking away food and energy, it's still hot, up half of 1%, hotter than expected. High water mark here, 1.3 in March of 22. We strip out food, energy, and trade, up 0.6, triple the expectations, and the high water mark there also in March of last year, 1.0. If we look at year over year, 6% on headline. That's why I think we need to be talking about regulating gas stoves, whether that's drastically improving emissions, or banning gas stoves entirely. And I think we ought to keep that possibility of a ban in mind as, as you follow along, because it's a powerful tool in our toolbox and it's a real possibility here. No exhaust, no diesel smell. The bus has Wi-Fi and even USB outlets next to every seat. I mean, come on, imagine, you can charge your phone on your way home from work. That's good stuff. After Hamlin was discharged from the ICU, the question on so many minds, what caused his heart to stop beating? You're 24, peak physical condition, can run circles around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> How did doctors describe what happened to you? Um, um, that's something I want to stay away from. You said just possessing classified documents is, you said, totally irresponsible. So what was totally irresponsible about the fact that you had some? What they've informed me not to speak to this issue to any way, try to prejudice the investigation that's going on. What do you say to the charge that if you are a climate change campaigner, but you also travel around the world on a private jet, you're a hypocrite? Well, I... I, by the gold standard of funding Climeworks to do direct air capture that far exceeds my family's carbon footprint. And I spend billions of dollars on, on climate innovation. So, you know, should I stay at home and not come to Kenya and learn about farming and malaria? Anyway, I mean, I'm, I'm comfortable with the idea that not only am I not part of the problem by paying for the offsets, but I also through the billions that my Breakthrough Energy Group is spending, that I'm part of the solution. The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. Not black, not white. I was different. But my mom would always say, your job is not to focus on the differences, but the similarities. And my parents reminded me and my siblings every day how blessed we were to live in America. Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad. They say the promise of freedom is just made up. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but racist and evil. Nothing could be further from the truth. Some people look at America and see vulnerability. The socialist left sees an opportunity to rewrite history. China and Russia are on the march. 
They all think we can be bullied, kicked around. You should know this about me. I don't put up with bullies. And when you kick back, it hurts them more if you're wearing heels. I'm Nikki Haley, and I'm running for president. This whole talk about AIDS makes me uncomfortable. I think that, I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime, sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking, not wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll say, if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s, and 40s. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, I got another I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful about saying that you know politicians aren't in their I think prime. You need, they need to qualify. To are you talking about prime for like childbearing, or are you talking don't shoot about the prime for being say president? What the facts are. Google it. Everybody at home. When is a woman in her prime? It says 20s, 30s, and 40s. And I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google, you know, Google or whatever it is. There is breaking news tonight on that Chinese spy balloon. CBS News has just learned that U.S. intelligence watched the high-flying airship as it lifted off near China's south coast. That means the U.S. military had been tracking it for nearly a week before it entered U.S. airspace, longer than originally known. Welcome back, fans, to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 120 here on Friday, February 17th. And pitchers and catchers reported to spring training this week, Mr. McKenna. Opening day is March 30th. How's it going, co-host? I think it was also St. Valentine's Day. I'm still not certain if I'm going to actually participate in the major leagues this year. You still are you debating whether to renew your MLB.tv subscription? I am in fact. I am that, in fact. What is it? 120 bucks? Uh I think it was 199. I don't know. Whatever it, it, whatever it was. It's more the message though, right? I, it yeah, I just don't, you know, I'm like, what's the I'm serious about this giving up on the Yankees thing. I know you guys think I'm kidding. I'm serious. All right. Well, we got a little bit more time between now and March 30th to Okay. To determine where our allegiances lie this year. Okay, so clips today, PPI coming in hot. That is according to our good friend at CNBC. Um, inflation persisted in January. The consumer price index rose 6.4% from a year ago. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Team Biden is like, hey, it's great. We're making progress. Down from seven to seven. Let me get the breakdown. Let me do. Let me just do a couple of things that matter to people here. Eggs up seventy percent. Butter up thirty-two. Guns and butter. Uh, Fuel oil, twenty-seven percent. Utilities, 
26%, airfare 25%, ouch. Fixing your car, 23%, frozen vegetables, 18 milk, 11 uh, Let's see. Steaks are uh, steaks are down actually. Good. I guess they were they were super high. You know, what, for, forget ago. all that stuff. I got I got a I got a data point that you're going to care about. There's a new yeah, restaurant. There's a new restaurant that opened at the corner of 12th and K. It's uh, the 13th and K, 12th and K. Um, I, it's Victoria something or other, and I and they had its menu out front on the way. I walked over here on the way on the way over here. I'm like. You don't know what they're selling rockfish for? Rockfish now. Something you pull oh, out of God, something no. you pull you out of a stream. You, right? You ready? Which for, is a bass, by the way. Just whatever. Just for your, you marketers. For rockfish. 45 bucks. What? 45 bucks. Eat. Yeah. You want to you want to guess what their main lobster roll was? They didn't put MP on there. They scare, did. So they that's did. to not scare people away. They should have, though. 38 bucks for a lobster wow. sandwich. 38 bucks. I'm like. Okay, guys, come on, man. Sorry. See, that's inflation DC people care about. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, so then we had um, CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Commissioner, Richard Trunka Jr. Was that him talking? Tell us that, uh, yeah, well, we're not going to take that ban off the table because it's powerful. (laughs) Those gas bans. You know what's interesting? Ban- apparently, gas bans are dangerous and can kill us. But huge, massive chemical explosions in Ohio seem to be safe and healthy. I don't know if you've been tracking this whole deal. Yeah, it's, it's- the Babylon B won the day on that one. Um, I don't know if you saw their bid on it. It said uh, this was a, a thing yesterday. It we should probably for those of you who don't know. There was a derailment of a Norfolk Southern chemical train in East Palestine, Ohio, which is not far from um, Pennsylvania border, I think. Um, and a bunch of vinyl chloride was released, and somebody made a decision, I'm not quite sure who, that the right answer was to demolish the train cars in place and take them out as wreckage. Of course, that exposed people and across an enormous amount of real estate to vinyl chloride, which is incredibly toxic and kills pets and people and all kinds of things. Anyway, the Babylon B about a day ago, and this happened 10 days ago and media really hasn't run anything I, on it. Yeah. And, it's unbelievable. Right. And, and, it's like, and where are the environmentalists? Like, you know, with it, the outrage, I was going to say team Biden hasn't, hasn't addressed it with the exception of Mike Regan saying that, you know, the people responsible for the derailment are going to go to jail. I'm like, Hey, you know, the people responsible for the derailment, probably the guys riding, you know, driving the train. So, um, I'm not sure we're getting a lot of satisfaction there. Anyway, Babylon B um, had a headline that said uh, Elon Omar uh, withdraws support for East Palestine upon finding out it's in the United States of America. <laughs> <laughs> I cracked. Uh, I, I usually don't get cracked up good. by that kind of thing, but I'm like, that's pretty damn funny. So Vice President Harris, ever the bus enthusiast, says you can even charge your phones. You can. Isn't that amazing? I uh does she when's the last time she rode in an automobile? I, I, you know, I mean went she, anywhere. Wow. She hasn't been get in out of your car seven. and ride a bus to a random destination somewhere in the proximity of your workplace. And now you can do so while your phone is charging. 
Yeah. I thought it was kind of weird. I'm like, I, I was trying to think, how long have car chargers been around? I'm like, I'm thinking at least 10 years, at least 10 years. She this is like the George H.W. Bush moment with the, the, with, the store, with the scanner, right? with yeah. the scanner, with the scanner. So. See, but I get that at that point, he had been in the bubble for like 15 years. But I mean, Kamala Harris has only been in the bubble for like five or six years. She, I, I wonder about her. I really do. Yeah, she's something else. Damar Hamlin, this was an interview with uh, Michael Strahan, and that was the clip uh, of the moment that. You know, he had his heart attack on the field. There was a little bit before, a little bit after. We, I just wanted to, it's just such an odd thing. If you don't want this to be controversial or, you know, you don't want it to be like surrounded by oddness or, or weird sort of, you know, conspiracy theory type stuff. What is going on with this thing? I don't know. What like, I don't, what I don't get is why he doesn't answer the question. I'm like, right. Dude, the doctors must've said something. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, my guess is is football doesn't want to accentuate the injury, but I'm like, it, literally, it, this is accentuating it a lot more than anything else. And just saying, hey, this happens sometimes. You know, you blunt force trauma or something like that. You know, you know the you know the the vaccine. Yeah, so the vaccine crew is like, hey, it's because of the vaccine. I have no idea. I'd like to find well, out. That's though. A- that's exactly my point is, is they don't want to feed this sort of, you know, conspiracy theory yeah. type stuff with the vaccine. And yet, you know, we continue to have these weird moments like the faceless, you know, appearance at the Super Bowl. So anyway, uh, you know, he looks good. I'm glad he's recovering. I'm sure he'll be ready for next year, but just an odd, odd section of that interview thought I'd pointed out. Uh, I did a back to back here on hypocrites of the week. Joe Biden can't really is dodging the fact that he uh, told uh, you remember that 60 minutes interview, how mind numbingly irresponsible it was to even have. Yeah. This classified is, documents yeah, in your possession. Yeah. This now makes for those of you keeping score, this now makes the fifth set of documents in four places for the um, president. It's, Say what you want about say what you want about President Trump. All of his stuff was in one place in a room. This guy is yeah. like this guy is like spreading it all over like it's a venereal disease. He's giving <laughs> giving classified documents to everybody. You get a yeah. classified document. You get a classified document. You get a classified document. Uh, and of course, I had to find, I throw on that clip from Bill Gates. Oh, uh, that boy. was just rich it was just rich i am the most self-serving person ever and i'm well i more than offset my i'm I'm supposed to be a grown man but my indulgences that i pay for plus my billions of dollars that i spend which i have in no way shape or form have any financial interests whatsoever in the outcomes of these yeah i i um Usually I'm indifferent, but I really don't like this guy. I don't like millionaires, billionaires, generally speaking. I think we should probably do something about them, but he's a he's a different case. I really don't like him. Nikki Haley's in. Of course she is. Why wouldn't she be? What else is she going to do with her life? She's, f- she's 51, dude. It's a new generation. She's Pastor Pride. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Don Lemon, man, this is just great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, guys, guys, this is just some some advice from from one adult male to another. Just don't don't 
don't ever get into any of these things. This is I, I have no idea what would compel you to say anything like that. Well, he doesn't spend a whole lot of time with you know. Yeah, I get it. I mean, he's a gay so. dude, and I'm cool with that. But dude, even gay dudes probably need to understand. Just, just don't, don't. Yeah, yeah. This is just good. Google it. <laughs> Google when is a woman past her prime? I, I, lo- I love that he kept what digging. Is, and he kept stepping in it too. He just I kept like, digging and digging and digging. Dude, you know, silence is always an acceptable answer, dude. I was just, it cracked me up. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So my my one comment about uh, Governor Haley is, I think she would, she's, I think she'd be um, a fine president. I think she would do well. It's going to be interesting because she does this thing where she like steps into her ethnicity but also the fact that she's a woman but then she sort of backs up and says but all but all you know but just kidding all kidding aside yeah that doesn't it's not about that right it's it's not about that right so yeah I, it'll be interesting to see how she you know can can kind of manage that as yeah. she goes forward so i've listened to her like a bunch of times and i you know i don't i mean she seems fine but i've been underwhelmed every single time i've listened to her for longer than 30 seconds I'm sure. Yeah, well, she's one of how many now? I, we had a uh, exchange with, um, well, no, with but, um, a I, Daily Caller reporter, Mar- Mary Lou Mary Lou Masters. Mary Lou Masters, Mary Masters. Uh, wrote a piece about who's next and um, yeah. kind of how this whole thing will play out. God knows how it's going to yeah, play we're, out. But... We're gonna we're gonna have we're gonna have the other underdogs, Chris Sununu and Larry Hogan and Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson. And Chrissy Noam probably might if she decides. Yeah, we're gonna have them all in this race here in the next three months, I would bet, because they're gonna need that much they're gonna need that much more time to put their um get their names out there. Well, I was gonna create I, something. Forget that. I was thinking about just getting their signatures for getting on the ballots in all these states, right? Yeah. That's a that's a that's a that can be a complicated little piece of work. So the Nikki's in, so the race is on. Yeah, well, Donald I want to. Po- I want to point Nikki out. Haley. I was going to say I don't want to be that guy, but Trump was actually in first. So. Yep. Yep. He was in her. Uh, unlike, uh, not unlike President Trump, he couldn't even wait till the. Um, yeah. The. Could <laughs> we? Was it mid November when he announced? I think that's right. Couldn't even wait till that before the Georgia runoff. Before he that's okay. Decided. He's 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 had a really 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 solid uh, two months in here or three months in here now, where you know he's solidified his support and raised a bunch of money and is moving out in the early states and you know is doing the kind of thing a candidate needs to do. That's right. Oh wait a minute, hold on. I'm being told now he's hold on, just getting this in. He's actually not doing any of this stuff. Oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Is that I, someone I, was whispering in your in your ear there? I was gonna say I was getting in my <laughs> yeah. Ear. That's fake news. <laughs> Speaking fake news. of fake news, and I didn't actually want to c- include this, but apparently um, <laughs> didn't want to. But I, I I was backing and forth, and because I was kind of pissed off that we weren't included on the list. But Brookings just did a yes a piece on podcasts, the proliferation of podcasts. Uh, yeah. And the dis- Audible reckoning: How top political podcasters spread unsubstantiated and false claims. Now, yeah, I know. We were not on their list. I know it pissed me of off. Political podcast, and I want to know: well, Is it, it because all- nothing that we say is wrong? Is wrong? Correct. 
that's the it's got to be the reason because it's got to be like it's got to be at the top of the unregulated podcast has got to be well i mean but but it was a top list, of mind for but, anyone who's reporting on political podcasts yeah yeah but it was not a list of political podcasts it was a list that they had come up with of misinformation purveyors yes and no not coincidentally steve bannon was right at the top so probably not a list we wanted to be on but still would have been nice if they had mentioned us you know Seriously, man, I'm a little upset about it. Among this. the cranky right wingers are bang. <laughs> All right, and then uh, of course Joe uh, Biden, the great communicator, the greatest. Now, wasn't that the term that they gave Ronald Reagan? Great communicator. Wasn't Ronald Reagan the great communicator? Great communicator. He's the greatest communicator in this administration, Joe Biden. You know that might be true. That's a scary thing, right? I mean, I myself would pick. Uh, Oh, I don't know. You know, I have to think about who to pick because he, you know, the truth of the matter is he might be the best communicator, which is kind of terrifying. Which is what you were were like, wait a minute, who's better? It might be somebody, might be somebody better, but I don't know who it is. Sure, not his press secretary. Um, uh, Brian Deese, maybe. Um, uh, Chinese spy balloons. Apparently, some of these balloons were like, you know, not quite Chinese spy balloons. Some nor some um, balloon club apparently takes uh, uh, claims that one of theirs was shot down by the United States government. Um, so, and and also of course uh, it is in the article. Of course, uh, it is discovered that they knew about it a lot longer than they had let on to think that they knew about it. Yeah, that they so, knew they'd been watching it since launch and blah blah blah. I'm just like. Transparency and honesty and integrity is just, well, you know, yeah. chock full in this I mean, administration. I hate to say this. No, it's not this. I don't, we don't know it's this administration's fault. I, I I hesitate to say this because I know what I'm going to get in return. But the truth of the matter is, the United States military tells the civilians what they want to tell them. And that's just that. Yeah. You know, this, this, this concept of civilian control of the military has its limits. And we might as well just go ahead and admit that. It's gone. It's gone. Okay. Um, announcements. What do you have? What do you have this week? Anything? Well, yeah, I want to point out to everybody that next Monday, um, is of course, George Washington's birthday. And I'm going to give you your yearly reminder that it is not president's day. Do not listen to what the salesman on the television tell you. It is George Washington's birthday, both in federal and at least in Virginia state law. So, um, happy birthday, general Washington. I think that's and of course Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent. Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. Get your get your ashes on time. Don't be late. Um, Yeah, and I will. I want to announce to you, sir, that I'm very sorry that won't I won't be able to join you at your your and Christine's annual Mardi Gras bash. Yeah, no surprise. I know you you Florida people visitors. I've got visitors coming this weekend. So, but it is quite the party. I I hope you're going, Margaret. I got it. No, she's not. Oh, that's See? terrible. That's, that's, that's what terrible. I. That's what I've come to expect from all you people. You talk a lot, right, but that's well, about it. I hope you enjoy. Have a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Freeze one of those muffalettas for me. Can you no. freeze a muffaletta? I don't know. It's a funny thing. I was actually I asked that question the other day. I'm going to find out this year. <laughs> all right. This day in history, 1801. Today in 1801, this happened. What day is today? February 16th. 17th. Okay. February 17th, 1801? Yes, sir. Uh, Louisiana Purchase. No, but the 
person responsible for the Louisiana purchase was elected oh, the third president uh, of yeah, the United by, States. By the House of Representatives, sure. With the by the House of Representatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a bloody war, a, a bloodless but none, nonetheless brutal campaign between him, Aaron Burr, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay. Yeah. And he tied, it was tied in Victoria College with his ticket holder his code his co-democrat what was it what was the what was he a democratic what were they called back then democratic republicans democratic republicans yeah wanted to so they end up tying the the of course this is in you know a lot of a lot of the kids know this because because of the broadway play but alexander hamilton didn't like either of them but liked jefferson even less so he used his power and influence to persuade the house to throw the count towards thomas jefferson and there we have it the third president of the United States. There you go. And then 18th. they then they set up a February seventeenth commission to exact vengeance on their enemies. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, it says here the flawed voting system that was so problematic in the election of eighteen hundred was later improved by the twelfth amendment, which was ratified in eighteen oh four. So true. So this is an improvement on that, at least. 1865, I threw this in just because I had to. February 17th, 1865? Mm -hmm. um, the famous March to the Sea. Yeah, oh, Sherman burnt uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, yes, Charles sir. Boom. You are Columbia. so good at this. You are really good. I'm yeah, very impressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you gave me enough. Um. He obliterated uh, the, well, he's his people obliterated uh, the city of Columbia, South Carolina. Under his orders. Under his orders. Um, he claimed, of course, that uh, he was not, let's see, I'll give you the quote. For the burning of the city, um, he claimed that the fires were started by evacuating Confederates. Yeah, it's funny. That's what and they said. Fanned about. by high winds, he later wrote, "Though I never ordered it and never wished it." That's funny. That's what they said about Richmond too. But somehow, I have both, never shed any tears over the event. But I, because I believe it hastened what we all fought for the end of the war. So. Well, obviously, not everybody fought for that. The other side didn't fight for that, Bill. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it is in fact a war crime. Just, just, just for those of you keeping score, <laughs> it's a war crime. Well, he got the order from a guy received support from it, somebody. It, it's a war. I crime. had to do this just to see if he'd bring up the name. You know, just just because you win doesn't mean you're not a criminal. Everybody. All right, nineteen seven. Let's lighten it up. Nineteen seventy-two. Actually, this isn't that light. Nineteen seventy-two, February seventeenth, nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, you're never gonna guess this one. Yeah, I don't think I am either. Uh, the last on this day, the fifteen million seven thousand and thirty-fourth Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, I don't care about that. Rolled off the assembly line, breaking the world car production record held more than four decades by the Ford Motor Company's iconic Model T. Yeah, that's well. It only took them forty years. You, you, you'll be happy, of course, to realize that the Volkswagen factories were simply repurposed um, um, BMW facility, uh, BMW facilities, which of course went to make Panzer tanks for the Third Reich. So we're on the theme of war crimes. Let's just keep yeah, going so on the, the theme. Beetle, the Beetle was uh, 
the German German Chancellor Adolf Hitler's desire to build new roads and affordable cars for the German people. Volksreich. An Austrian-born engineer, Ferdinand Porsche, was already working on creating a small car for the masses. Hitler and Porsche later met, and the engineer was charged with designing the inexpensive mass-produced Volkswagen or people's car. People's car, a Volkswagen for a Volksreich. Excellent. Both Austrians, both Austrians. Let's not forget, Hitler was Austrian, ladies and gentlemen. 1996, 1996. I have no earthly idea. 1996, that was the day that on this day in history that chess champion Gary Kasparov defeated IBM's Deep Blue. Oh, yeah. The chess playing computer and won the match 4 2. However, Deep Blue goes on to defeat Kasparov in a heavily publicized match the following year. Yeah. That's it. Those are my three. Well, pretty three. Actually, pretty good. is that four? Four. four. Yeah, those are my four. Four, four. I threw, I threw in the eighteen. I threw in the Sherman one just because. Eh, war criminals are important to memorialize. He's got a big statue out here on, uh, right here by the White House. All right. I sometimes <clears> wonder <throat> if South Carolinians like, you know, notice it. We want to get the Super Bowl out of the way. Yeah, now. sure. Why we'll not talk about it later? Yeah, no, no. Okay. I, Super Bowl outcome. You want uh, to start? We were, once again, we were wrong. I'm Congratulations, very... Kansas City. I'm very happy. For defeating the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes, I was also very happy to be wrong. Hell of a game. Hell of a a, um, uh, hell of a performance by a guy who's hobbling around on a bad ankle. So yeah, and that was the thing about it, right? I completely underestimated his ability to play with one leg, which is not crazy, right? Um, But there it is. The other thing is the Eagles look like a team that had not had any real competition for a while. And that's the truth. They hadn't, right? Um, and also, I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts yet. I mean, he fumbled. That fumble was the important part of the game, right? And he tried his best to throw two more interceptions, but failed doing that. Yeah. Well, I do think that that hold at the end was a little questionable. No, it was a hold. Yeah. It was, it was, the, guy himself, look, the guy himself said it was a hold. You know, it. It. the reason why it's important, and, and this is this gets lost, right? The Chiefs had run up, had run a, essentially a rub route twice in the end zone, once to the right, and once to the left. When I get down in, inside the ten, the two previous touchdowns have been on this exact pattern. So this time they put Bradbury up against him. He presses right off the line of scrimmage. He gets beat right off the line of scrimmage. He grabs him. Right, mm-hmm. that guy was going to be wide open. This the other, just like the other two guys were wide open because the Eagles. Um, had no conception of how to defend the play. I don't blame him, neither would I. But long story short is, hold on a material play, that guy was going to be wide open and walk into the end zone like the other two guys. And and I think, you know, the TV guys, I don't know who the TV guys were, but they didn't talk about any of that. I'm like, dude, yeah, well, you know, this is, this is, I get it. You like to stoke the controversy, but this was an obvious call and an obvious time and an important time, and it had a material effect on a play. I, I don't understand why they're getting chippy about, the, chippy about the refs. I'm like, well, it's the way they hadn't called it for 58 minutes. Maybe the guy hadn't held him for 58 minutes. Yeah. Well, on this one, you, here, our listeners want us to disagree. Here, in this case, we disagree. I thought it could have gone either way, and it did affect 
did have a material impact on the on the yes the outcome. Of it the did. Game, I so. agree. That hold materially affected that play. If he had not been held, this he'd have walked into the end zone. It was a good call. And then I was, of course, uh, nervous for the Chiefs for orchestrating the field goal to end the game because, yeah, that's, of course, that's, I've lived through, yeah, man. you know, end of the game field goals to win or lose the Super Bowl <laughs> before. So I was a little bit nervous for him. I'm like, these are the times when you shank. Yeah, I, it's you know, funny. I had the same thought. I'm like, dude, I get it, but give up the extra 20 seconds and score the touchdown. Yeah, I was, I'm was. i all about that. Yeah. Okay, so I got a section on cars. Should we get into that, or do you want to bring something up? No, cars are fine. All right, I got three. I got one um, from Bloomberg. This was uh, this was February thirteenth. I think I know new cars are only for the rich now, as automakers rake in profits. With pandemic pandemic era chip shortages fading, manufacturers are keeping inventories low and prices high. The shift to EVs will make things worse. The average monthly payment which by the way, we can get into this. There was a time when there was no monthly payment on a car. Like that is like, that is something that has changed culturally. But anyway, it has soared to a record $777 a month. I saw that 777 number. Nearly doubling from late 2019, according to Kelly Blue Book. Uh, Somewhere in that story, I think there's a, that that's like one sixth of the average um, right here, that's almost a sixth of the median after-tax income for U.S. households. That's crazy, man. Even used models have climbed to five hundred and forty-four dollars a month on average. Yeah, it says here at the root of this problem is automakers' new mantra: keep inventory lean and price tags flat. Fat, sorry. Three years after the pandemic triggered a global shortage of chips and so on. Ford and GM and their overseas rivals are notching big profits, even as the chip chip crunch shows signs of easing. And because electric vehicles cost about 25% more than the average car, the shift to plug-ins is about to make affordability crisis even worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. The average price for a new vehicle in the U.S. has jumped to almost fifty thousand dollars, up thirty percent since twenty nineteen, according to J.P. Morgan. So, in in uh, in other words, these are this is your future. The future is, and this is what the Greens have wanted for a very long time. The future is is that you you unless you are very wealthy, you probably will have to make economic decisions that don't involve new vehicles in particular new internal combustion engine vehicles whether by force or by the sheer fact that they're costing way more in part because this is where the auto companies make their money right they jack up the cost of the cars that people want in order to offset the pain and the and the and the losses that they're taking from the cars that they're they're building to please their masters, yeah, they're carrying it. In this case, the governments of either Europe or the United States. Yeah, we got to go after the cafe law. I mean, it's just it's inescapable. You know, the the Republican Party can't be in favor of of cafe anymore. I don't I don't understand why we're having such trouble getting through, getting that through our heads. Okay. Anything else on that from you? No, I expect no. I expect no legislative action on Cafe this year, or next year, <laughs> or any other year. It's it's distressing. It's it's very distressing. 
I mean, writers, this is from yesterday. Italy's transport minister calls European ban on fossil fuel cars, which is insane, a suicide, quote unquote. Italy's transport minister said the fast switch to EVs across the European Union would be suicide and a gift to the Chinese industry. We all care about water, air quality, and a cleaner environment, but that does not mean laying off millions of workers and shutting down thousands of businesses, Minister Matteo Silvini, who leads the rightist league party, said. The, and this is because, uh, I don't know if you are, I'm sure you're aware of this, but the EU parliament on Tuesday formally approved yeah. a law to effectively ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars in the block from 2035. Yeah, I don't know what petrol is, but yeah, I, I was aware of that. Is that is that is that like a name of a soccer team? Is that so, so the ban? So so it, you know they've tried for years and years and years to force us to change our habits, and now they're just like, you know what? Screw it. We're just gonna skip the Screw middle it. step. We're just gonna ban stuff. We're, we just, we're, you know what? You don't know enough, and you're too dumb. We're tired to of understand waiting. what's in, at stake here, so we're just gonna ban it. You know that? Just ban it. I bet you Bill Gates gets offsets. And that, if, of course, if, if, segues... I get, if I get offsets, can I drive a gas-powered car? Lamborghini, right. Can I drive a petrol? Can I have my driver drive my Lamborghini for me? So um, this is the last one, and this sort of dovetails in, yeah. right? Uh, so we're going to switch to EVs. These electric vehicles are going to sweep the nation... We all, we're going to love them. We can't wait. We're so excited about the F-150 Lightning. Writers headline February 14th, Fort Halt's production shipments of F-150 Lightning over possible battery issue. Yeah. Um, About in the second or third graph of that story, maybe the fourth one, there's there's a quote from the Ford people that makes you... That that gives you some indication of the seriousness of it, right? This isn't a this isn't a temporary hiccup. This is something else. Do you, do you have a statement from the Ford people that are somewhere in there? Ford said on Tuesday it stopped production and shipments after discovering a potential battery issue during its delivery checks. Right. We are not aware of any incidences of this issue in the field. Yeah. Just Ford spokesman Emma Berg said in an email. She said the production stop was issued at the start of last week. Yeah, so I'm not it, 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 sure if that's the quote you're referring no, to. I don't think so. Maybe it was further down in the story. Maybe it was in a different story. Long story short, is they um, Ford said, "Hey, we're going to go look at. We're going to go find out root causes here." Um, okay. Anytime anybody tells you they're going to go find root causes of something, what it tells you is they don't understand the process. Like they have no idea why this thing went wrong, right? So it's not like a little thing. It's a big thing. Um, and the other thing. A production stop is pretty serious. Pretty, pretty serious, especially for something like a battery, which is, I don't want to say boring, but it's a known technology, right? You know, we're not having a production stop for like an air conditioning thing, which maybe we put in a new air conditioner or for digitization of the car. Uh-uh. We're having a we're having a production stop for a battery that, like I said, pretty known at this point, right? Lithium batteries been around for 30 years now, so... All right, so that whole EV transition is going real well. Uh, do, doing exactly what the Greens want, which is basically like cutting the supply of, of, of vehicles available for consumers. 
Yeah. Am I that cynical or? Well, um, do you have, do you have, do you have time for one more, one more thing on this sequence? Of course, go for it. University of California, Davis put out a study um, at the bottom of last week and it was about, well, I'll just tell you what, what it concluded. It concluded that um, just to electrify the United States fleet, United States automobile and truck fleet would require about three times more lithium than the entire world, world the entire world mined last year. Um, the UC Davis guy's conclusion was we need smaller batteries, which means much smaller cars, and we need mass transit, much more mass transit. In case you're wondering, the purpose of this exercise, not the accident of this exercise, but the purpose of this exercise is to get people out of their cars. It is not to transition from gas-powered cars to electric cars. It is Yeah, well, the good news is you can ride cars. in a bus that and charge your phone at the same time. I just... I, I, I don't even... Whatever. I mean, the scanner thing was one thing, but this thing is, like, different, right? I mean, it's... It's everywhere. You could ride on an airplane and charge your. I mean, <laughs> it's like, has she not ridden on an airplane or a train anytime or in a car anytime recently? All right. So um, let's do this now and, yes. and then we'll come back and close. Mike McKenna conducted a great interview with a gentleman named Nate Fisher, yep. who is the CEO of the New Founding. Uh, he's a leader in the emerging world of alternative conservative institutions. Um, and he's, uh, let's see, previously co-founded InvestRes, a billion-dollar real estate company, and has helped launch several civic organizations, a Claremont Institute Lincoln Fellow, a resident of the great state of Texas in Dallas with his wife and four children and a young, a young gentleman. 38. So let's turn that, let's do that interview now and then we'll come back and chat a little bit about that and then uh, wrap this baby up. Winner. Winner. I'm here with Nate Fisher from New Founding. He is the second uh, member of the um, New Founding community to come visit with us. Uh, we had Matthew Peterson on about, I'm going to guess six months ago, but I'm not sure that's right. Um, they are well worth your time to look into, pay attention to, and think about. Um, I'm going to start off with a simple question. Who's the worst podcast host in America? The worst podcast host in America. The answer to that, ladies and gentlemen, is me because I sent Nate originally to the wrong address. That's how terrible I am. So he's too polite to say that on, on air, so I'm going to say it for him because I feel bad about it. So I apologize for that. Gave me time to uh, double prep for this. So. <laughs> you know, usually we don't no do No excuses if it's not good. Usually we don't do any prep at all for this stuff, just so you know. Um, tell us about yourself. So my, uh, my background is actually in business and investing. Not po I've been interested in politics, but, uh, but in college – I uh, made the decision to go toward investing because I saw it as a place where outside-the-box ideas could be rewarded. Politics at the time didn't seem to be a place that rewarded outside-the-box ideas. And uh, Nothing's changed. where that led is I've always felt that I've been inexorably drawn to kind of the biggest macro opportunities, the ideas that that have the ability to really move the needle on something. And uh, And so when I graduated from 
law school in 2010 that I uh, it was in the wake of the financial crisis. It was still a time when things were very down, uh, a lot of pessimism. I saw an opportunity and uh, I saw an opportunity to make distressed investments. My my focus had been bankruptcy law. And uh, so I turned down an offer at a top New York law firm, uh, partnered with a classmate, moved to Florida and started a company to buy distressed real estate in Florida and Texas. And uh, really, the bet was a bet on the demographics, the the sort of draw of those red states continuing to draw people there. Sure. And it really paid off. It, it proved it, it worked out very well, grew to be about a billion dollars uh, in real estate and uh, great, great education in business. So that's that's really how I've approached things. And it was it was probably 2018 or 2019 when I really started seeing that we're in this paradigm shift in politics. And uh, we're seeing this sort of transformation that's not just touching the conventional political space, but all institutions. And to me, the intersection of that political scene and business is one of these game-changing opportunities. It's one of these places where you have this enormous business opportunity, but it's actually an enormous opportunity to change the direction of the country. And that's uh, so my ba- that led to what I'm doing with New Founding. Uh, which is at this intersection of politics and business. But really the key key part of that background is how I came here and sort of the opportunity I see. Okay. Um, what's the most pressing, what do you think is the most pressing or challenging issue facing the folks here in the United States? The challenge, the challenge we face is across the board, the loss of nearly all of our institutions. And uh, I, I what I, I think in many ways, conservatives are actually the strongest in conventional politics. We have a lot of D.C. is full of conservative institutions. They get their criticism, but on the whole, there's their strength. But then you go to your job outside of outside of the political space. You go to your job. Your company's probably been taken over by woke HR. Uh, schools are facing uh, incredible incursions across the board. You have this situation where people do not feel that what they put their effort into is actually building the country they want. So, uh, and that's that's sort of profoundly, it's profoundly uh, distressing if you know that your efforts, yes, they might be earning you money, they might be making you, uh, they might be a good job, but they're going to advance a vision that's at most sort of neutral and often actively hostile to the vision of the country you want. Okay. Um I wrote down here on my little piece of paper, what is your vision? So I'm going to lead with that. What? Tell me about the new founding vision. So uh, there's several aspects. The first aspect is this immediate opportunity to change that. The first aspect is create an alternative and it's alternative network. I won't say it's a full parallel economy. I think the economy is pretty intertwined, but a an economic network that allows a network of opportunities that allow you to move into something that's actually building the country you want. So if you're stuck at Goldman Sachs doing well, can you find an opportunity to apply those same skills to actually advance an organization that whose vision you share? And that's an immediate solution for many, many people who are hungry. They're hungry for that type of impact. Now, what does that also do? It actually creates a bubble that uh, it creates a bubble that is free for many of the rules that uh, that exist in these big corporations that actually that give us the space to start building out an alternative, uh, a broader alternative vision. And then the long-term vision there is, uh, it's kind of twofold. It's really in the digital age, as we experience digital transformation, 
have a positive vision, and I would say a pro-human vision fundamentally, a vision of the digital age that remains fundamentally run by humans, that elevates human judgment, sort of in opposition to this technocratic uh, sort of dystopia that we see uh, we see in front of us. And uh, how we hope to get there is I actually believe that much of the digital transformation and digital disruption we experience is, can be harnessed to actually turn the tables and uh, shift that that balance of power that that has really resulted in our loss of control of so many institutions. Uh, shift it so that we're actually able to uh, help set the direction of the country. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm going somewhere with this. So, how old are you? I am 38. How old was Thomas Jefferson when he wrote the Declaration of Independence? Younger than I am. I know that. 33. Wow. How old was uh, John Adams in the signing of the Declaration of Independence? He's the same age as Jefferson, isn't he? Nope. No. Nine years older. He's Ooh. 42 years old. Same 41. Plus. Eight years old. He's 41 years old. George Washington was the old man in that crowd. He was, at the time of the signing, 44 years old and was the old man in the crowd. My point is this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, old geezers like me um, do not start or complete revolutions. Sometimes we help them along, but we are not revolutionaries. Tough to be a revolutionary when you're fading. There was Franklin. Yeah, but if you notice, he just helped along. He didn't actually have much to do with any of it, except occasionally raise his voice, which was significant, but wouldn't have been sufficient by itself. Um, this is a this is a different question. What what? percentage of people or however you want to characterize this answer um how many people sort of get the challenge you just laid out that look in a lot of cases you're working for people who are against working who are working against your own long-term interests how many people do you figure get that so this is a tough question because i think it's multifaceted uh, I, I guess there's a couple of reasons i'll say it's tough one is a starting point is you just look at the share of people who voted for Trump. And in so many ways, Trump was a protest against the system. He was he was uh, certainly certainly anyone who voted for him in the primary uh, wanted a meaningful change to the system as it existed. Uh, everyone who voted for him in the general, in some sense, knew that he was uh, knew that he was a challenge to the system. So I think that's that's one that's one heuristic. But voting Voting is easy uh, in many ways. Uh, I think there's a smaller share who are deeply motivated to actually make these changes, mm -hmm. uh, who who recognize that it's worth some meaningful sacrifice. I don't know what that number is. Uh, what I would say is I don't think it needs to. And part of that is there's an information problem. People are not, especially especially people at the professional and the executive level, which is really the focus that we're aiming at, the sort of people who are going to be building these new institutions, founding and building these new, new institutions, they are not public with their values. In many cases, uh, the more enmeshed they are in that that world, the less they can get away with sharing their values, which A, is why we are going with, in many ways, a media first strategy. I mean, why am I here? I'm here because... I can reach a lot of people. I I can reach a lot of people who may not be able to share their concerns with anyone else. I can talk about we can talk about what we're doing. We can talk about I uh, the opportunities we're we're essentially plugging people into aligned jobs and and ventures and business opportunities. And there may be a lot of people who can hear something like this who uh, who have no good way of signaling 
that they are interested in those opportunities. If they reach out to us, we can connect them in many cases with employers who likewise cannot signal publicly. They, they share these values, they share these concerns, but they cannot publicly signal uh, this because there's a lot of cost. Uh, I, I mean, I, we're fortunate our entire business is built around this uh, this theme, but for a lot of other businesses, let's say it's a venture-backed startup, uh, even the even some of the VCs may be aligned. The founder may be aligned. He may very, very much want to build a team that's aligned, but there's a uh, there's a huge cost to coming out and, and sort of openly signaling that. So in some sense, it's an ongoing process of discovery, uh, preaching the message and letting yep. people come. Yep. Uh, I think what's encouraging is you don't need to be a majority. It's uh, time and again, you've seen, and I think even the American Revolution, I think the numbers I've seen were a relatively small share. I don't know if it's 10, 20% of the people were, were sort of diehard revolutionaries. Uh, maybe a, a not too different share were actively opposed to that. A lot of the people were just trying to go along and earn money. I mean, you Washington and Valley Forge was distraught by the way local farmers would sell to the highest bidder. And as his own troops are starving, they're selling, uh, selling stuff to the British. So this was not a country full of patriots. This was a country in many cases full of people just probably making decisions that are very similar to how we see uh, a lot of people make their decisions today. They, they go work for whatever company pays them the most. They put up with whatever sort of ideology they're, uh, they're put in front of. And yet, and yet they were able to successfully win that revolution. And so the encouraging thing is I think the, the direction is changed by, a com by committed minorities, not by the majority. And if we can get 10, 20% of people uh, who really invest in a different direction, that's enough to, uh, I believe, to win. America was founded, ladies and gentlemen. Let's remember, religious cranks and corporations, and we're the same now. We're full of religious cranks and corporations. And I say that as a descendant of somebody on the Mayflower, one of the religious cranks. So um, take a second to talk about obstacles, other than the obvious ones. So the, the there's a few. One is... They control the institutions. Uh, they control big tech. Yep. They control. Uh, they control politics. I think they uh, they can use their political power to shut down innovation. You're seeing this in the crypto space right now. You're seeing sort of an a, a cranking up of uh, regulatory hurdles to uh, to crypto. Uh, often, uh, none of these things are passing the legislature. These are all. Uh, these are all. Uh, various financial regulatory efforts. Uh, that is not going to stop. In many ways, I think the way our government is structured today, they have tremendous power to sort of arbitrarily shut people down. Uh, they uh, that creates a sense of fear. Uh, you look at the uh, you look at the people who sort of the cost to people who are in the Trump administration in terms of job opportunities coming out, and people people don't want to. You sure cut off their future? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's sad. I. I think that's an obstacle. It's also a solution, uh, or, or it's also an opportunity. If we build, uh, if you build alternative institutions, you can get tremendously talented, tremendously motivated people to do it. Once people make the jump, they are, in a sense, they're all in on this. Say, there's there's not an easy going back. Well, it, sorry to mean to interrupt you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, it's just, um, Republicans have it in their head, ladies and gentlemen, you know what I'm about to say. Republicans have it in their head that somehow we're all going to go back to normal and the next nominee will be like George Bush and the um, Washington establishment will embrace the folks who go to work for whoever the next nominee, next Republican president is. 
that's a fantasy. That, I mean, Rub- that Rubicon's been crossed. That's never happening that way again. I mean, the next nominee is going to be Hitler. Just Hitler. like the last one is Hitler, and just like had yeah, Mitt yeah, Romney, yeah, just yeah, like yeah, had I'm Mitt sorry, Romney yes. won, he would have been Hitler. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no, um, the norm of treating everybody like a normal person in this town doesn't exist anymore. Um, sorry about that. I feel bad about that because everybody's a child of God. I think um, that goes to. I mean that that I think points to where I see the fundamental opportunity. Just to yeah. to jump in there yeah. is what the left fundamentally. What the left fundamentally rejects is they reject humanity. Uh, you see this obviously in a lot of the the transgenderism, the rejection of male and female. Uh, but you see this in, uh, I would say, a broader transhumanism of. Uh, you saw this certainly in the COVID responses, where it was all about safety to a point that you have to watch grandma die behind plexiglass, which is fundamentally one of the most inhuman things you can imagine. It's a shutdown of communities. They they fundamentally are they're techno. Uh, they're technocrats who ultimately will replace humanity with engineering. I think they have a very negative view. They have a negative view of culture. They have a negative view of of, of people. They assume uh, they assume we're sort of irreparably broken in in ways that compromise our ability to exercise our reason or anything like that. And that I think is their Achilles heel because you look at these technology platforms and time and again they are built. Uh, they are built to replace people. They failed to really capture the power of humanity in the new networks they're building. And a network that uh, even a relatively small network that compounds human trust, that connects people toward shared purpose in ways that build trust can be tremendously powerful. I mean, the nature of network effects is those compound incredibly powerfully. The nature of the network Silicon Valley has built, as powerful as they seem, are actually very, very low. You look at them and they're constantly trying to replace human judgment with big data and machine learning. They're trying to replace, uh, they're trying to, Facebook is sort of built at most on addictive algorithms, optimizing for addiction. And it's sort of a digital heroin. It's a sort of really low, low grip on people. And the opportunity is, is betting on people, uh, building on the dynamics that actually drive true high trust human communities true as i mentioned before as i mentioned before the um roman catholic church has buried pretty much all adversaries the current crop's not going to be any different it's only a question of how much and how complicated and when how long that's it the rest of it is downhill run um okay this is a question i got asked in in uh, in florida and i gave a what i thought was an insufficient answer so i'm going to try to give it to you and see whether you give it an insufficient answer too. Um, will all of our, this, we got this question from an audience member, will all of our current institutions survive? So absolutely not in terms of all of the institutions. Many, many institutions are going to fail. Uh, I think I think we are on the brink of a cataclysmic collapse in trust in institutions. And you've already seen, as I said at the beginning, I think you've already seen in many ways the collapse in trust, but they've continued to maintain a degree of power based on inertia or based on, in some cases, raw power. I mean, government institutions. Well, there's also residual nostalgia. Yep. That's actually, that's a, I think that's a, that's a good one, particularly for a lot of educational institutions. That's, you know, I was going to say, you have guys like me who went to certain colleges and you're like, I still have a residual attachment to them, even though I know they're a bunch of communists. And that's, that is, I would say that is, 
probably that is probably significantly declined among uh, among people graduating today, for instance. I, I think there's a very so. cynical attitude toward that. I mean, those schools themselves preach a sort of cynicism toward any sort uh, of tradition. I, I was going to say, I hope so, since, like you say, the school itself is largely disinterested in, in anything that's um, anything that's meaningful that could be passed along in society. They're all, they're all, you know, big schools are now big business. That's a terrible thing to say, but it's the truth. It is. And so going to the, the going to the collapse of institutions, yes, we're going to lose a lot of institutions. I don't think that means they're all gone, but I don't think that the solution is going to come through existing institutions. What I would see is I see something where the solution comes. This is why I'm building what I'm doing. I think the solution comes through new uh, digitally organized networks. Uh, they're, they're networks of people. And I'm I'm emphasizing that we're emphasizing the humanity. We're not emphasizing it's not driven by artificial intelligence. It's not driven by technology, but it's using technology to reduce the friction to sort of rapidly build new networks of people who do share a common vision, who uh, who dissent from this. And uh, in many ways, the the opportunity is that there's fewer institutional impediments uh, in the digital space to organize people. I see a lot of, and you've seen the sort of rapid pace at which tremendous power can be organized by by existing Silicon Valley companies. I think we can do even more because we have a better understanding of humanity. And thus, we have a better understanding of how to design a network to organize people. Uh, as that happens, I think you'll see many, many what it in a sense does is it creates an alternative status hierarchy, uh, credibility hierarchy. So just as sort of Harvard sets the standard that many, many other institutions have to follow, uh, Google sets a standard. The Google algorithm, the, the, the SEO algorithm becomes in effect a status game that many, many institutions are forced to follow. Yeah. If we build successful alternatives that are truly independent of those sort of Google, Harvard, New York Times status hierarchies, I think many existing institutions will have the opportunity to reorient themselves uh, to something new. Now, the problem is the Google ones are pointing towards something that's sort of increasingly inhuman and dystopian. Mm. What we need to do is we need to build one that is, uh, it points toward the good, the true, the beautiful. It points toward, uh, it, it incorporates the American tradition. It remains grounded in our American culture. I think of how these things are governed. Uh, if you are deplatformed, or if you're if you're uh, reprimanded on Facebook, it's some sort of arbitrary set of terms of service and some opaque uh, opaque yeah. process. It could be a bot. It could be a person in the Philippines. It could be wherever. Uh, you should bring the common law system into these. You should uh, you should have precedent. You should have someone sign his name to that. You should you should establish sort of new precedents that are applicable to the digital. And I think as we as we build alternatives like this. It'll create, in some ways, a, a both a a more aligned and, in many ways, a more attractive domain for existing institutions to operate. If you're if you're trying to build an online presence, if you're an existing institution, would you rather build one where you can be arbitrarily censored with little recourse, or one where you face uh, where you face rights analogous to what you would face in the uh, current U.S. court system? Okay, two last questions. We're going to move from the sacred to the profane for one of them. Who's the most interesting candidate in 2024? There's only one right answer to this so far. The, the most interesting candidate who's raised their hand in 2024 or is on the verge of raising their hand. Most interesting. Most interesting. Not I mean, the one you agree with the most. Most interesting. How can Trump? How can it be anything other than Trump if the question is most interesting? 
Uh, it's a good answer, but it's the wrong answer. What's the right answer? That Vivek Ramaswamy guy. Has he raised his hand? He said he's thinking about running, yeah. Okay. He's without a doubt the most interesting guy to run. I uh, I, I know him a little, and he's certainly... Uh, he's terrifying. I'm yes. looking forward to him getting in the middle of this. There thing, you go. Because he's going to set the rightward post, and I don't think people understand like just exactly how rightward the post he's going to set is. I'm looking forward to it. Vivek, if you're listening to this, come on the show. I want to talk to you, man, because I'm going to write a column about just about you. Um Confirms the point. Intersection of business and politics. That's where the opportunity is. Well, he's um, uh, the name of the dude on the Democratic side. Producer, help me out. The, uh, uh, Andrew Yang, right? He's Andrew yep. Yang, except he's on our side and he's like aggressive. He's not afraid. He, I mean, and he's been successful in life. That's right. I mean, you know, ha- half of the stuff he says about stuff I know is just like about 80% right. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty close. Um, but the direction is all solid gold. Just solid gold, and he's just bulletproof, right? You can't, you know, he's he's essentially bulletproof from some of this, you know, the back the backlash. Okay, um, I'm going to keep asking that question of everybody until I get start getting right answers. Um, maybe maybe President Trump isn't as interesting. I sort of know what he's going to do, right? Know what he's going to say. All right, last thoughts before we button it up. What what haven't what have I not asked, or what have you not said that needs to be asked or said? So at a high level, and this was great. We covered a lot of covered a lot of ground here. At the high level, the point is hope. I think. I think that I'm in. I'm an optimist by nature. As I said, my background was business. I could have stayed in business. Uh, there's a lot of ways to sort of navigate the collapse of a society if that's where I think we're going. I uh, I wouldn't have gotten in if I didn't see a path to actually change the direction of things. And I. Uh, it's not just going to change, though. It's not going to change by default. The left controls a lot of inst- it could collapse by default, but then we sort of collapse toward just a sort of a third world, low trust society. Uh, but no, but I think that I believe in the American people. I believe that I believe in people. I believe that I believe that there's major opportunities left on the table that we should be excited about. We understand the, the important thing, and I say this as a Christian, uh, I think a lot of people view the application of faith to business, for instance, as a matter of values. Don't invest in this because this is bad. Maybe invest a little more in this because it has some sort of pro-social benefits. But fundamentally, they see it as a question of values. I see it as a question of reality. I understand the world differently than people on the left do. I understand human nature differently than people on the left do. I believe that they have important blind spots about human nature and about the truth of the world. And if you're if you're a businessman, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an investor, understanding reality better than your opponents do is one of the most fundamental advantages you can have. Like I it, it kills me when it kills me when when we approach, let's call it faith-based investing. We we reduce it to a matter of values and sort of marginal goods rather than recognizing that there are profound opportunities, profound truths that we should be able to exploit. Our, our opponents have profound blind spots about human nature, and they build products that fail again and again to reflect that. They have an over-optimism about AI. It's been years and years since we were promised self-driving cars, and they failed to deliver them. Uh, Google search gets worse and worse because it tries to time and again replace human judgment with with uh, big data, and you can't squeeze insight out of uh, big data. And if we recognize that our opponents are missing important truths that we understand, 
why is that not one of the biggest opportunities in the world to go out there and and make a big bet on it? If you knew that there was an important piece of information that could move the market, that the market did not recognize and was not pricing in, that would be an enormous investment opportunity. Go raise a lot of money, make a big bet on that, start a hedge fund. Uh, that's the reality we're in. And uh, I think that should breed that should breed hope. It, we don't necessarily know how quickly this will happen, but we know that there are things we can do to, to move the ball forward. How do people find you? They find us at, uh, so you can follow me on Twitter. I, I'm very active on Twitter, again, with that media focus strategy, uh, Nate A. Fisher on Twitter. And I uh, spell Fisher. Fisher is F I S C H E R. Thank you. And uh, you can find us at newfounding.com. So if you go to our website, the entire, uh, essentially our entire uh, site is oriented toward how can you get involved? Uh, you, you click on a form, you can fill out, it's about a five minute form. You can uh, share what you're looking to do, what you're looking to find, what would you like, what opportunities would you be interested in seeing? And we are in the business of connecting people with jobs, connecting people with ventures, connecting people with business opportunities, building building discussion uh, platforms around around new ideas and new opportunities that need to happen. So if you uh, if you want if you want your day to day efforts to go toward building the sort of country you want to live in, then I uh, I invite you to join us. Nate Fisher, ladies and gentlemen, from New Founding, I cannot recommend them highly enough. Thank you, Nate. Thank you. I enjoyed this. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for conducting that interview. And thank you, Nate, for stopping into the AEA studios. We look forward to all the great things that uh, you're building and uh, we'll take advantage of them, of course. And uh, it's nice to see someone as happily cranky as we are. So. <laughs> yeah, we, we tend to draw them, I guess. Uh, all right. So, uh, Mike sent me an article and he, him and I were on the same exact same wavelength about making this a thing, uh, a regular thing. So I'm going to take a stab at calling this the Hemingway award. Now I'm going to start out with a, a sentence written, a sentence written by Ernest Hemingway in his 1925 essay or short story big two-hearted river as the shadow of the kingfisher moved up the stream a big trout shot upstream in a long angle only his shadow making the angle then lost his shadow as he came through the surface of the water caught in the sun and then as he went back into the stream under the surface his shadow seemed to float down the stream with the current unresisting to his post under the bridge where he tightened facing up into the current. So that I believe is the longest run on sentence that Ernest Hemingway has, has ever written in one of his books. So I wanted to, to call this the Hemingway award. Yeah, fair. So Mike found found this uh, little blurb from Politico on, on Valentine's day. Former Hogan chief of staff heads to the private sector. First in Politico, former Maryland governor Larry Hogan's chief of staff, Amelia Chase Alcivar, is heading to Hilco Redevelopment Partners, which is also a mouthful, as Hogan considers a bid for the presidency. Now, Mike has a quote that he says is 
was the inspiration for this segment. And she also has a quote that I thought was even better. So we're going to let you guys decide. And I'm going to read the one I thought was better. I look forward to be able to work with government partners and be able to speak from a place of experience from someone who's been on the oversight side, on the regulatory side, on the side of ensuring that citizens and communities are protected, and that I'm taking that experience and that lens to be part of the teams that to be part of the team that's going to work with the public sector to move these projects forward in a way that's very collaborative. She said. God so that was my quote. Mike's quote. Now wait a minute before you let me. And I'll let set me, it let, up. Let me tee I'll this set up. It up. So she, I'll set it up for you. So she she was asked. She was asked would she go to work if if Hogan was running for president, and this is the word salad she responded with. <laughs> she was asked <laughs> if she would consider, uh, and she and the and the political wrote, and Elsevier did not categorically close the door on returning to the governor's former governor's flank. When asked if she would work for Hogan again, I have a, a incredible amount of belief in Governor Hogan's value to be a leading voice in our national political dialogue and will continue to support him in any way I can as he charts a future that I think will be impactful for our country in whatever he chooses to pursue, she said. <coughs> oh, my God. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what? It's perfectly okay to say yes, no, or I don't know. I, if you're out there in press land and you're a press secretary or a press person and you give answers like that, people are going to think you're an idiot. Because if you can't speak clearly, probably an indicator that you can't think clearly. All right, what else we got? I got one. Fi, is she in or is she out? This was just an odd situation. Did you, did you, see, did you see this happen? I did. So Fox News reported this uh, on February 14th. Senator Dianne Feinstein appears unaware of her retirement announcement during reporter gaggle. So there was a tweet, big splash, where she said that um, she was ready to move on, that she's, you know, done all she can do. And well, it was a nice, you know, Twitter uh, Twitter announcement of her not running, not seeking re-election in 2024. And then reporters uh, asked her about her announcement. And she said, I haven't made, this is a quote, I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. A staffer then told the center that a statement had been released. And Feinstein responded saying, I didn't know they put it out. Yeah. Um, it. Oh, no, I'm not announcing anything. I will one day, Feinstein told the outlet in an interview only an hour after her retirement was announced. It, it's so bad, right? It, it It's funny because one of the things I wanted to, I, one of the two things I had left to close on was uh, Senator Fetterman checking himself in for. For depression. Depression. Yeah, you know these people and the people around them. The people around these people, Fetterman, Senator Fetterman, President Biden, Senator Feinstein. I get it. You know, you you 
you're you're all about how they're important people and you want to maintain their importance. But at some point, you guys are complicit. You guys are complicit. You know, this is on both sides too, right? Cochran, right? I was going to say it's not partisan in DC. You know, guys around people around these people prop them up for as long as they can be propped up. And, and it's disgraceful. It's just awful. And to, to watch well, it. Are they past their prime, though? I mean. Yeah, dude. According to Don Lemon, she's like 60 years past her prime, man. <laughs> she's past her. Uh, well, in honor of, of Senator Feinstein, and I have a long history with Senator Feinstein. I was a Hill staffer in California. I, my first, uh, my first, um, job in politics was with governor pete wilson whom uh she she battled for the uh governorship of california um anyway and and of course she's always been a little bit more reasonable than her staff which is interesting too like she in her own sort of you know when she's not being scripted and or even before the you know cognitive stuff she would always look at things a little bit more reasonable and then her staff would mop it up and shift her to the left. So, uh, but anyways, I would consider this one of the greatest moments in constituent relations. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, it's is just something that turned around in 10 years. You're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with these consequences. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people. And all you know what's interesting about this group? I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here. And you say it has to be my way or the highway. I don't respond to that. I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million vote plurality. And I know what I'm doing. So, you know, maybe people should listen a little bit. (laughs) You know, the best part about that is the visual. Yeah. They're like 10. I'm gonna say she's 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 they're she's, like they're brainwashed masses, right? But but they're like literally 10 years old that she's like, maybe you little punk should shut, shut up, up every once in a while and listen to your elders. It's the Sam Kinison approach. Oh I like so it. good. I like she's it. Great. Congratulations for a long and I don't know, I guess. I don't know what kind of career she had. Yeah, it's it's depending on who you listen to, it's either path breaking or completely unimportant. Yeah. It 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 term limits, ladies and gentlemen, and certainly age limits. Term limits and age limits. The only thing that's gonna save this country. All right, I gotta close for you, what uh but not before I turn it over to you for best and finals on this hundred and twentieth uh, episode right. of the unregulated podcast. I Sorry, spent Tom Pyle and Mike McKenna. And um I will say this, Brookings, you need to give us a listen. Come on, cause... man. You know what? We should just send it over to him. Listen, Come on, man. Email it over to Brookings. Um I got my driver's license renewed um this this uh week. And uh, first time in like 20 years, I've had to go into the DMV. And I have one question and one question only. And I, I do not have any good answers. I'm, this is a legitimate question. Why 
do we compel people to have driver's licenses? Why do people have to have driver's license to drive? I don't understand why. And no one can make any decent argument as to, well, it in indicates a certain level of competence because it certainly doesn't do that. Um, so I want everybody to think about that. Think about what government does in your life and doesn't do. Why do you need an occupational license to cut hair? Correct. Why do you need a driver's license to drive? I don't understand that. I believe... I I don't understand. You know what? This is an interesting question. I wonder, there, there's got to be some origin here, like well, other. You know, I'm sure when drivers, I'm sure when people started driving, the states are like, we got to regulate this somehow. And that's my point, ladies and gentlemen. When, when did we decide that the, it, what the state wanted, however the state, this is a Commonwealth of Virginia, state I love. When did we decide that somehow that they, that was okay? Like, sure, whatever, we'll just regulate stuff. You know? I mean, it, it, I don't understand the purpose of it. I'm looking forward to somebody explaining the purpose of it. Um, I guarantee you, I could, I could draw you a little chart that says, hey, number of driver's licenses and number of accidents, and there'd be no relationship. None. Guarantee you. It's all about, it's all about giving the state 47 bucks per and doing your thing and like making sure you know who's boss. And think about any think about any trip to the DMV, any trip you've ever taken to the DMV. The over over overarching lesson that they want you to walk out with is, you work for us, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's right. it. For That's an interesting point to ponder. It's just I, I, you know, it, but it, you don't need to show that license when you vote in most places, right? Why do you, I don't understand why you have it. I, you know what? Even if you, even if they wanted you to carry around an ID card, I'd be okay with that. I just don't know why I have to have one to drive. I don't understand it. I really don't. Big government, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, man. But anyway, sorry. Cradle to grave. Cradle to grave. All right, so let's close it out with Senator John Kennedy. Oh, boy. Who is speaking to a Democrat witness, a climate researcher, who's bullish on China's cooperation <laughs> <laughs> with the United States and helping to reduce global carbon dioxide emissions. Faced with a policy where China does something that's not in its best interest, but it does it because it's in the global best interest. Do you think President Xi would do that? I think that President Xi understands that we have to work together to address this global problem. Yes, I do. And it will be in the best interest of China to work with the United States to address. So you think problem. the answer is yes? I think the answer is that it's in China's best interest to work with the rest of the world to address this problem, as it is in the United States' you, best interest to work with the rest of the world to believe, address this problem. You believe, create harmonized incentives to reduce. You believe the in the tooth fairy? No, sir. You believe in the Easter Bunny? <laughs> no, sir. You believe that Jimmy Hoffa died of natural causes? <laughs> no, sir. Okay. <laughs> Keep going there, Senator Kennedy. You are providing wonderful material for the Unregulated Podcast. And that's it for this week's episode, number 120 in the books. Namaste. Hey.